The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Jonah So in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's the Reverend Dr. Jonah So. Hear now the word of God from 2 Kings chapter 5, starting with the first verse. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his courses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
the passage introduces us to an unlikely protagonist who I believe is relatable. Naaman has worked hard to achieve success. He has attained power, prestige, and position. And for all the blessings he has in his life, there is one struggle that no matter how much wealth and influence he accumulates, he cannot overcome. He is a leper. Now, scholars agree that the leprosy that we're talking about here is not the common form as we know today, but an affliction more along the lines of psoriasis or vitiligo. As such, Naaman did not face the social indignity that the lepers from perhaps the New Testament that you're familiar with faced. Nevertheless, Naaman was bothered by it. And this story is about how he was cured. Naaman is an unlikely protagonist because he is Aramean. During this time, Arameans were enemies with the Israelites. And to be sure, the story we read today is authored from an Israelite perspective. Going back to Naaman's being bothered, we know he is bothered by this condition because he acts upon the words of the most unimportant, statusless person possible. A female slave from an enemy nation. Yet, something about Naaman had her wishing for healing rather than death for her oppressor. And Naaman takes her at her word that there is a prophet in Samaria, a region in Israel, who could heal him of his leprosy. When Naaman asks his boss, the king of Aram, for permission to seek out this prophet, the king takes the opportunity to take a pure, if not naive, desire for healing and turns it into a political scheme. The king sends a note with Naaman asking the king of Israel to heal his servant Naaman of his affliction. Nowhere in the note is there a mention of any prophet who might make it happen. Rather, the king of Israel sees the note for what it is, an attempt to ignite and instigate conflict. Naaman simply wanted to be cured. Now we have a national crisis brewing, created by the political system and the associated games. And it's within this context of high political stakes, the story of Naaman's healing continues. Hearing of the king's distress, Elisha invites the king to send Naaman to him. So leaving the palace and the overtly political nature of his visit, Naaman heads over to see the prophet that the young girl had convinced him could heal leprosy. To his surprise, when Naaman pulls up to Elisha's home with all his nation's regality on display, 
Elisha never even comes out of his home. Rather, a messenger instructs the commander of the armies of Aram to bathe in the muddy waters of the Jordan seven times. When it occurs to Naaman that the prophet would not be coming to meet him directly, he is incensed. He expresses his disappointment over his unmet expectation of ceremonial showmanship. And as he prepares an about face to return home with murder and revenge on his mind, the servants gently offer a perspective to Naaman saying, If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more wouldn't you do this when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? With that, Naaman does what the prophet prescribed, and he is healed from his leprosy. There are three ways I think we can relate with Naaman's story. The first is that Naaman's healing occurs within the context of political turmoil. The stars and the ducks are not aligned perfectly for Naaman to be made well. The threat of war looms, the leadership is anxious, chaos is never quelled, and yet Naaman's story of healing unfolded. Whatever situation or context you are in. God's story for you continues. God has a purpose and plan for you. And that plan unfolds amid the chaos and the turmoil of this world and life. God's will in your life will be done but it does not imply you will necessarily like it or enjoy it. Bringing us to our second point. God healed Naaman, but God did not do it Naaman's way. Naaman had clear expectations how this healing should occur. He says it in verse 11. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and he would wave his hands over the spot and cure the leprosy. Naaman was outraged that the healing did not happen the way that he had imagined it should happen. And being stuck in his own certainty, his own way of how things must be, almost cost him the chance to be healed. It almost caused him to miss God's purpose for him. In his commentary on 1 and 2 Kings, Richard Nelson observes, Naaman's healing was a free gift. Faith was not a precondition for health. Health was given in order to create faith. Indeed, God's gracious favor to Naaman is prior to everything else in the story. 
the way Naaman's healing mattered to God is the way we matter to God. The healing that God has in store for us is a gift. God's grace to us is a gift. That grace given unto us is freely bestowed for our faith to grow. Through our experiences, though not all pleasant and positive, God draws us deeper into relationship with God's self. And for that to happen, we need the third point. Humble voices must be met with a humble heart. The voice of the young girl pointed to the hope Naaman sought. The voice of his servants provided the perspective he needed to persuade him to bathe in muddy water the prescription for healing. As gentle and as humble as these voices may have been, had Naaman not exercised the humility to heed the voices and obey, the healing would not have happened. I spent this week sermonizing reading commentaries and articles, news articles, reflecting and meditating. I was doing what I normally do when I preach. But I was like extra super stressed out. It feels like that every time. Extra super, you know, to try to make sense of it all. You know, with all that was swirling around in my head and heart, and Jennifer watched quietly as I manifested my various forms of preaching worry. I whined and belly ached. I procrastinated try to sleep, nap, you know. And yesterday, I expressed aloud my frustration with the sacred task in the living room. And Avery asked, Daddy, can I pray for you so you're not stressed? And in that moment, I felt an extra shot of aggravation and bother surging through me. Because now I felt exposed and vulnerable, ashamed. And as I calmed down enough to say, no, no, thank you, sweetie. I'm all right. The spirit moved me to instead answer, yes. I sat down next to her, and she embraced me, and she prayed for me. Her prayer didn't get the sermon written. But it put me on the track so that it could happen. And to think that my ego almost prevented that. You know, as much as we need to listen for the voices that point toward hope and help us exercise humility, we are also called to be such a voice to others. And for that, we need to have the compassion demonstrated by the servants in the story and demonstrated by the greatest servant in the person of Jesus Christ. We can be the voice that points toward hope and change the trajectory of someone's day or life. The story of Naaman's healing reflects our lives in that one, no matter how unlikely, 
God's purpose and plan prevail. Two, God is at work making our faith grow. And three, the voices of humility and compassion are vital for our faith life. I'll close with an epilogue, if you will, of Naaman's story, for our story. Through his healing, Naaman concludes that there is no other God in all the earth except in Israel. Naaman comes to faith in God. Before he returns home, however, he asks Elijah the prophet two things. The first thing he asks for is for permission to take loads of soil from Israel back to Aram so he can worship and make sacrifices to God on literal holy land. And second, he asks for advanced forgiveness for when he bows down in the house of the God of Rimon in the act of helping his master worship. Rather than offering a corrective to Naaman's inadequate theology or lecturing Naaman about the danger of divided loyalties, Elisha says to Naaman, go in peace. Robert Nelson observes, Elisha's answer neither approves nor judges, but simply sends Naaman forth to live his faith as best he can. In contrast to the way that Naaman was so certain of how he should be healed of his leprosy, Elisha creates space for God to work by removing the certainty of how God works. Speaking of certainty, a tweet by Dante Stewart gave me pause. It says this, The greatest threat to Christianity is not secularity. It is certainty. When you are so convinced that you are right, then you will create all types of enemies and cut yourself off from all the ways God is active in another person's experience. Elisha implicitly understood this and offered shalom to Naaman. Elisha lived according to his faith and gave the space for Naaman to live out his accordingly. Immigration reform, gun laws, reproductive rights, climate change, and the separation of church and state are just some of the hot issues that have been swirling around our nation, dividing us. You and I should be living in accordance to our faith, advocating and striving for the things we believe to be true, absolutely must be done. But, we must hold on, if Elisha teaches us anything, we must hold on and trust that even if a neighbor does not agree with us, that God can 
work in and through that individual. And that God's work and purpose somehow, though we may not be certain, will be done. Outrage is natural. And it's the easier way. It's easy to say, if you don't agree with me, then go ahead, unfriend me. But when we partake in the meal set before us at Christ's table, we choose Christ's way. We affirm that God welcomes all to the table. As frightening as that might sound. All to the table. To be fed. To be healed. And to grow in faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Family of faith, the Lord has heard. The Lord is our helper. The Lord now sends us back into the fields with the assurance that the harvest is plentiful. So go. Go out. Go forth with the grace and peace of God, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer, now and forevermore. Amen.